0: Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. Chris Kerber with you here on another Wednesday night, and man, can you smell it in the air? Just stick your head out the window. I know it's going to smell a little bit and feel a little bit like summer heat, but I'm telling you, somewhere in there, you can smell the ice coming. You could smell the guys skating on the ice, and you know that in a matter of just a few weeks... If we get a little bit lucky and everybody stays healthy, the Blues are going to be back at it and officially begin the playoff defense of their 2019 Stanley Cup Championship at home, oh man. I can't wait. I can't wait to just start seeing games get played basically from 11 in the morning central time until close to midnight or so throughout these first few rounds. It's going to be fantastic. Well, welcome into the BoardWalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Ben show. If you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help you increase your style and the value of your home with BoardWalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. BoardWalk is locally family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at BoardWalkHardwood.com. Well, as we get into the show tonight, and again, we come your way every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m., we're going to focus a little bit on how we got here. And the biggest aspect of this, make no mistake about it, the biggest aspect of this is the understanding of both the National Hockey League owners and the members of the Players Association to realize the situation that the world is in, we are all in, and that the sport is in. And then understanding both what situation it needs to happen on the business side for the owners and for the players. And they also both had huge stakes in how this worked out. So here in the first segment of the show, going to bring you a quick overview from Gary Bettman and, of course, from Don Fear. When they came out on Friday and announced the new CBA. Joe Vitale and I in the next segment of the show, we're going to talk about this CBA a little bit and just kind of how it really impacts players. And this comes from the perspective of a guy who was a player during the lockout in that 12-13 season. We'll also hear a little later on in the show from Craig Barubi, from Alex Petrangelo, and from Doug Armstrong as we get you back on the ice and just kind of gets going through their minds and what's happening both on the ice and then off the ice as well. So stay tuned for that. But back to the matter at hand, the CBA. Yep, when you mention collective bargaining agreement in sports, it gets boring. It gets the hair on the back of fans' necks just standing straight up. And it's understandably so. Very rarely, very rarely do these themes, these things, seem to really transpire and come to fruition without a lot of animosity, without a lot of public angst created by media reports of what each side is thinking and folks look no further than what we just saw with Major League Baseball. The two sides could not come to a business agreement on how to best handle things for the sport for this summer and beyond and the reason is is they have a new collective bargaining agreement coming up after the next baseball season. Now hockey wasn't all that far off. Hockey had two years left in their collective bargaining agreement but the way the current agreement was structured it was very much in the benefit of the players to find a new system with all the revenue lost because of the pandemic. And that is what spurred things and how they got things going. When you listen to Gary Bettman, when you listen to Donald Fear, you're going to hear both of them talk about a mutual understanding of all the issues involved. And Donald Fear's comments at the end are about as good as any of them that could be out there talking about how they realized from a player standpoint, what was important not only for the players, but for the game long-term. So without any further ado, let's get to that, and then we'll get into some of the details here in just a moment. But from last Friday, when they met with the media, here's Gary Bettman and Donald Fear both giving an overview of how they got this agreement done and how important
1: it is. I think it's important in terms of setting the framework to understand a little bit about how we got to where we are. Uh, in the days leading up, March 12th when we took the pause because of COVID-19, uh, we, we, the League and the Players Association, were in constant communication, uh, particularly when we got to March 12th when we decided to take the pause. Uh, and that began a period of perhaps of unprecedented collaboration and problem solving. I wouldn't even say it, it, it approached a negotiation. It was a recognition by both sides that we were being confronted with uh, an incredibly difficult and novel, unprecedented situation. And that to get through it, uh, for the good of our constituents and the good of the game and for the good of our fans, we needed to work together to solve the myriad of problems that would be in front of us. Uh, That required us to focus on return to play, uh, to focus on transitional rules, to focus on protocols, and to focus on an extension of the collective bargaining agreement that would give us labor peace for an extended period, which turns out to be the next six years, so that we could get through this period uh, with our franchises strong and intact, our game as strong as it can be, being appropriate and fair and protective of our players, uh, because health and safety and everything we discussed was paramount. And that process over the last three months or so led us to the point this week where we could agree on all of those elements, and that we think uh, for this game, this league, and for our players uh, puts us in the best possible shape that we could be in to confront the challenges of COVID-19, give us an opportunity to complete the 1920 season, and as I said, have labor peace going forward. Uh, I cannot thank Don and Matthew and Bill enough for everything that went into this process and the people at both organizations that work with all of us on a day-to-day basis. I also wanna thank the teams and in particular, the NHL owners for their continuous support uh, in reaching this point. This was not, and, and I just to keep the focus on it, this was not purely about return to play. Uh, return to play is gonna be great Once we get through it, once we get everybody in the bubble and assuming everybody stays healthy. But this was much broader than return to play. As I indicated, it was about maintaining, stabilizing during this time and focusing on the future of the game and the league. Uh, We're going to do the very best we can on our return to play scenario. We understand that there are risks attending to it. uh, But as I said before, and I mean it and all of us mean it, Health and safety is the number one priority uh, for our players, for our organizations, and for the, our fans and the communities that we play in. And on that note, with my gratitude, I turn it over to Don
2: And thanks, Gary. And every, everybody, I'm going to begin by saying that I agree with a lot of what you just heard from Gary. And I think that indicates something about the approach that was taken in these talks. We're living through difficult times, uncertain times, no one knows what the future would bring. And what that meant was that this wasn't, and for all practical purposes, could not be normal collective bargaining. Explain to the players that there was little that was customary or usual or what would ordinarily have been expected in negotiations. Health and safety obviously is the paramount concern, and that's for everybody players, management, support staff, all the vendors, and certainly the fans. So we viewed the task as trying to identify the difficulties caused by the pandemic, certainly the immediate ones, but looking to the future to figure out a way to address those issues. We had to do that in a way everybody could agree with. In negotiations, great ideas aren't worth very much if the other side doesn't go along with it. And then to set the stage for the recovery when things begin to return for normal to normal. This is probably not something that a lot of people are going to call a perfect agreement. A lot of people are going to find faults with one thing or another. That's always the case. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be unanticipated events and perhaps even unintended consequences. But I do think this agreement meets the challenge. And the next challenge is going to be to implement it both in the short-term and the long-term. And there's a lot in this agreement I think players can be proud of. Negotiations are never easy, and they're more complicated in the circumstances in which we now live. But all of us, I think, recognize the singular nature of the crisis and of the issues and the necessity to persevere till we got it done. Thank you.
0: You know, you can get into the details of all the different aspects of this CBA and what it's all going to play out and what it's all going to mean. But the reality of it is, is I think the cooperation and the understanding that both sides just talked about is really, to me, the bigger story than some of all the the little details that definitely impact the business side of it. And one of the things that stands out is when Donald Fear talked about an agreement that meets the challenges. An agreement that meets the challenges of not only this year, but the next few years. Look, no league is just going to all of a sudden shut down, miss two-thirds of their season, miss half their season, miss one-tenth of their season. And in this pandemic, when there's so much uncertainty that's going to go far beyond October and November – be able to just think you're just going to flip the switch. And in January, it's going to be all that different and all this revenue is going to come back. That's not the case. And both of these sides understood it. And Donald fear, when he talked about the single nature of a crisis and its issues, That means that the leadership of the Players Association really had a great grasp of everything involved. Now look, both sides had things that they wanted to accomplish. Both sides had real serious issues they wanted to address. And escrow being first and foremost for the players. In a 50-50 cap situation where the players make 50% of the revenue, the escrow is taken out of their paychecks. And that way, if revenue doesn't meet the 50% of what the players were paid, then the players owe that money back to the owners. If it is met, then the players get that escrow. That's an oversimplistic way of looking at it. But in a year where you lost $1.1 billion in revenue and you weren't going to recover that back and you've already received 90% of your salaries, my goodness, escrow next year to break even and to get that number back to where it needs to be could cost these players upwards of 30 to 40% of their salaries. That's why they had a vested interest in this. And that's one of the key reasons that moving forward – This became a very positive agreement because by the end, if all these other parts are met, that escrow is going to drop down to 6%. Now, that has a huge impact on how players are going to sign contracts, and we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. But again, great news and great work. Folks, there's really – and look, we just lived through it and watching what baseball did by negotiating through the media. It was ugly. It was no good. And the players eventually just said, just tell us where to show up and play, and it's going to get worse when their CBA comes due within another year or so. From a hockey standpoint, they looked at this situation. They found a way in four months – to work out an agreement that is going to extend the CBA for a total of four more years beyond the current one and gives the National Hockey League six years of labor peace, six years of ability to work through the issues created by this unforeseeable situation and that pandemic that we live in. And folks, to do what they did in four months while trying to find out how to return to the ice and all the other issues involved is nothing short of flat-out amazing and they deserve all the credit in the world, both sides, for finding a way to get it done. We'll get a perspective from Joe Vitale, who was playing during the last lockout, and just how these kind of things impact players. We'll do that when we come back. It's the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show, and it's right here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. All right, welcome back to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you tonight. And uh, Joe Vitale, we were doing this week in hockey last night, and... We got into so many other topics, we didn't get a chance to really get into the, kind of the the amazingness of what the National Hockey League did with the CBA. So since we're focusing on the, on the show tonight, I thought, let's go ahead and get into that part tonight. But, uh, you know, I put a tweet out there that said what the National Hockey League did is nothing short of amazing. Miracle. They didn't just negotiate how to get back on the ice and how they're going to manage this season. And we saw what Major League Baseball did. We saw the challenges they had when they decided that they were going to negotiate it through the media, which was just really bad on the part of the baseball commissioner, Mm -hmm. Manfred, as well as Tony Clark on the PA side. The National Hockey League did it very differently. And they not only found a way to get back on the ice now, but they found a way to agree to a four-year extension Mm -hmm. through a pandemic in a four-month window. They somehow found a way to ensure labor peace for six years. Look at that's flat out amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I it mean, really is when you know, especially when you understand that under Gary Bettman, mm-hmm. the, the CBA negotiations typically has meant they were well, it has almost every time meant a work stoppage. I'm looking at NASA landing on the moon, and this is just shortly
3: below a curbs. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking at that much, <laughs> nah, but, maybe not that much, nah, but it's close. But you know, you're right. I mean, not to mention the uncertainty and everything going on and you know just just to do this and have another six years and i remember the 13 14 lockout and i remember the day in the day out grind he said she said why can't we just find some common ground you know i i know that the new cba had to be negotiated given what uh, the return to play there were certain things intertwined with the return to play that had such an effect on the future of the game so it all needed to be lump sumped into one and here I'm thinking there's no way this is going to happen but the leadership of of the league, the board of governors and the PA and all the player representatives and the players coming together and voting the way they did to, to, to have a seamless ironed out script for what hockey is going to look like. It's nothing short of amazing. And Curbs, try, quite frankly, I think the fact that we were in a pandemic, I think so much of it was done behind closed doors and so quietly with not a lot of media. I actually think that that, I don't know about you, but I really feel that that actually helped
0: things drastically move forward. I think there were a couple of, of key factors that, that, that I've mentioned. One one is the fact that because both sides earlier in September of 2019 both sides had an opportunity to opt out of the CBA. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't, the CBA got extended for two years. So it got extended for this year mm-hmm. and then the one after. The, I'm sorry, for for the next two years after, right? So the reason, the fact that both sides had to make that decision, they had to engage each other on what the key issues were and feel out whether or not the escrow issue and some of the others, the Olympics and things like that, we're going to be, you know, hill to die on topics, or if we were going to make some progress to keep things going. I think because of that, and the fact that both sides showed that there was some dialogue that was productive and willingness, both sides decided not to opt out of the CBA. Mm-hmm. The owners could make that decision, and the players could make that decision at different times. They decided not to. I think the progress and vibe created in that process set the framework for what happened here it's a
3: model league and you're right i remember last september when we were sitting around thinking geez we we could have some news here in another year or two if this doesn't get ironed out but it was both sides looked at the game they loved the way it was trending it was making a lot of good money hockey was becoming very popular why would you want to mess with anything like that but that definitely set the stage um to create this runway for what the NHL and the NHLPA certainly needed to do uh, with everything moving forward, curbs and and again, I just go back to uh, you know I go back to the leadership, I go back to everything, but I go back to the fact that I think the owners really, I don't know about you, but how you feel about this, but I talked to players and the players are pleasantly surprised by how player friendly this deal was. I think you look at the escrow cap, you know, the escrow. It's hard, it's hard to describe, it's hard for people to understand. But let's just, to me, put it this way. It is in the players' favor. It gets better as the years go on, and Mm -hmm. especially during a pandemic. I mean, they've kept the cap. At least for a few years, it's going to be the same, and the escrow is going to go down. And I'm sitting here thinking, where the heck all this money coming from? Well, I think the league's looked ahead. They're looking, you know, what we have some good U.S. TV deals possibly coming up in a couple of years. We're looking at a lot of revenue coming in here. Seattle, I think Seattle owes every team was close to twenty. I think six, about sixteen million. Is sixteen what it comes million, out to. so close to twenty million. That was pretty close, but sixteen
0: million. I think they 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 could hit the books for the beginning of this next season.
3: Yeah, so I think they looked at all this money possibly coming in, and not to mention, player-friendly, I'm going to go on another topic, the bonuses. The bonuses have doubled during this pandemic playoff situation, which the, the owners, again, I feel like they have really leveraged to the players, and they've kind of really, they knew they needed to persuade these guys, and they knew that well, the best way is through the wall. I mean, $240,000 to win a Cup, if you lose in the first-round curve, you walk home with $20,000. I mean, you can't tell me that the, these owners... Weren't good to these players. These players feel, they felt that these owners were good to them, especially given the last couple lockouts where they felt betrayed at times. I think it was a win win.
0: Take, so you were a player during the 12 13 lockout. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I remember obviously the 04 05, losing the whole year and, and knowing all that. The process of getting the players to understand what is at stake and what is going on, mm-hmm. how difficult is that? And then, what's it like when you know that? Frankly, some players don't even care. This just what am I going to be ma- make versus players that care about that process. What put that all in in, in some perspective for us? Curves. It's really hard because you know you look at this pandemic
3: and everyone says we're in this together. I, I think you think you're right, but I also think every everyone's fight is very different. And I think when you're looking at a lockout situation and player to player, every every player's fight is very different looking. You look at Alex Petrangelo. His fight in this. New C B A discussion is very different than Troy See, Brower. Or a
0: Justin Falk. Or Justin Falk. Exactly.
3: You, yeah. Really good point. Justin Falk. So, you know, it was hard navigating through that. It was hard listening to certain players because every player had a different opinion. Because at the end of the day, you are Concerned first and foremost, I think, for yourself and for your family. I think it's only natural.
0: And then you have to balance that with what is best for your team and best for the league. But how do they get the information? Like, like take us you when you're a player, like how, how this comes out. And then you talk to some players, you go, ah, I don't care. And then some players that are really deep into it. I, I would say the majority of players don't care because they know that
3: I think that their, their thought process and their I think where they feel they are, it doesn't really matter. I think that guys understood that you have your Jonathan Taves, you know, you had you, you had your Sadin twins that were up there, and you had your, your Corey Schneiders, and guys that were up there that were going to make those decisions. I think guys felt that the guys with a lot of a lot of money that were the icons in this league, that they were the ones that were going to kind of pull this thing in a direction or not. So I think the majority felt as if they it didn't really affect them very much. Communication was always given right through your your player rep, and the player rep filtered on down. There was one situation. Where We all went to New York. I think the entire team went, stayed at the Marriott, right at Times Square. We had this huge conference. I think this was around November when – actually, it was October before the official season got delayed. And but aside from that, the player involvement isn't that great. And I think for this situation, I think Colton Pareko he he went he went through a lot for the St. Louis Blues and, and being that player rep. I think if you would ask him if would he take on this responsibility when asked to be given it to him a couple years ago, he probably would have said no because of the headaches and everything. But everyone kind of is filtered through your player rep, and um, unless that's changed, that pretty much is how it was. Those um, guys
0: are really valuable in these moments, oh, aren't they? Huge,
3: huge, yeah. huge. And it, and you know what. I Colton Parake will be the first one to tell you that I don't even understand a lot of the stuff. I'm not going to say have it, but a lot of the stuff. A lot of it stuff is, because they're hockey players, you know? A lot of it is just, hey, you're going to be here for a while. Do you want to be our player? up? Sure, sounds good. What do I got to do? You go to a meeting, they, they pay for you to go to the Bahamas once a year, whatever it's going to be. But, um, no, it's a, it's a lot. It's but here's, a lot.
0: Where, here's where it does matter, because and the players learn it as their career goes on, but... Be- For example, all of a sudden when a player signs a contract and didn't care about escrow and realizes that this year if they did not come to an agreement... They could lose up to forty percent of their salary to escrow. Mm-hmm. That'll catch your eye. Exactly. Well, so I there are certain issues you have to understand. And I think that's what happened with their last paycheck. If I'm not mistaken, I think they they basically they decided to not take it right away. They're not taking yeah.
3: their and basically it's going to get rolled into escrow. So essentially, yep. they did not get paid their last paycheck, and now it's going to be put in escrow. When I got in this league, Curbs, What the heck is escrow? I I, had, I thought it was like uh, uh, snail is dish. It, is it a snail dish or is it like escargot or what's the that's uh, the snail dish that's the snail dish uh, 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 escrow escrow. It's like a green leafy. It's kind of like spinach. I'm like, what are we doing here? What's going on with those escrow stuff? Why do they
0: keep taking my money? But yeah, it's it's a big deal. Don't skip those finance classes, man. (laughs) Holy moly, don't skip them. All right. uh, Well, listen, it's fascinating, but what they did to extend this by four years is really something uh, spectacular. It's awesome. Six years of labor peace for the National Hockey League cannot be underestimated. We'll take a break. More to come as we continue along with a little bit of this business side on this weekend hockey, or I'm sorry, on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show on 101. On ESPN. Welcome back into the Boardwalk Carbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you. Hopefully you enjoy that perspective from Joey Vitale. Just really how this kind of thing impacts the players. Coming up in the next segment, stay tuned. Check in with Craig Baruby, get his thoughts on the first couple of days of the players getting back onto the ice. But a little bit of mix of both here in this current segment. We're going to hear from Doug Armstrong from Alex Petrangelo as well. Let's just start with Doug Armstrong. You just heard uh, as we've focused a lot on the business side of things and hence the name behind the bench so many more things going on than just what's happening on the ice but now you know where the salary cap is going to be the salary cap is going to be just over 81 million dollars it's not going to go up what does that mean from a general manager's perspective well here's blue's general manager doug armstrong talking about just that
4: yeah well certainly having six years and uh potential of a seventh year in a cba uh you know, gives us uh, certainty that we're going to participate and play. Uh, I also think knowing that what the salary cap's going to be for the next uh, probably three to four years, and then hopefully we're back in business and the revenue start flowing in it and it can increase at that point. But uh, knowing knowing really where what it's going to be each year, you you go into the season thinking it's going to raise three million, four million, five million. Uh, then there's a an escalator that the players can and can't take. So you it's really a a moving target. It's less of a moving target now. Uh, you know teams have planned uh, uh, for the cap to be maybe 85 million and 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 maybe mid 90s to 100 100 million in the next you know five or six seven years. It's not going to be that. So you just have to uh, understand where it is now, and you have to make your decisions based on quite honestly a little more certainty.
0: Now that doesn't mean that you can't sign players. It just means that now that you know where the cap is, you know exactly what you have to work with. Well, one of the players that they were able to get signed officially now is Scott Perunovic. Here's what Doug had to say about him.
4: Yeah, Scotty uh, is gonna sign his contract starting in uh, 2021. Uh, he's gonna sign a two year deal under the uh, transition rules or the the rules allowing players to play. Uh, he was not gonna be able to participate this year. so. Uh, he was in town and, and doing some work. Uh, we sent him, he's back in mini now and won't be here for phase three as he prepares to get ready for the, the main camp and, uh next season.
0: Well, now we turn our focus to maybe the biggest question of them all when it comes to the St. Louis Blues, the salary cap and free agent signings. After this season is finished, if they're able to get this done, whether it finishes with another Stanley Cup championship, a deep run to the playoffs or a little disappointment by an early exit, there's a major issue for the St. Louis Blues coming up at the end, and we all know what it is. It's what do you do with the captain, Alex Petrangelo. He's an unrestricted free agent. What does that mean? What is that situation? Well, he was asked about that specific situation, and here's what he had to say.
5: Um, I guess it's kind of a tough question to answer right now. There's a, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, there was a whole lot of questions regarding everything moving forward, CBA and um, – a lot of things that both sides were kind of sitting down, waiting to see what was going to happen before uh, any discussion. So quiet, but uh, we're worrying about the playoffs right now. We'll uh, we'll move forward and, and uh, see what happens here. And you know, I'm not much to say about it other than the same thing Army said: is the goal is to get something done. That's been the goal from the beginning, and we'll see where things go. But um, focus right now is just kind of getting through this healthy and playing, and uh,
0: we'll see where things end up. Now that's a pretty good honest, but political response from Alex Petrangelo until the end of the season, as Doug Armstrong talked about, there's really nothing more to get into. But let's look at potentially how this is now impacted by the new CBA. You know exactly where the salary cap is going to be. So instead of the salary cap being upwards of $84 million, where you thought it was going to be when you started to plan how this was going to go, you're now $3 million less. Folks, that's big. 50% of the teams in a league are within a million dollars of the salary cap in this current season. So a $3 million planning room that you thought you were going to have you don't have, that is big. And it's not just signing Alex Petrangelo. Vince Dunn, of course, is a restricted free agent as well. There's a couple other aspects in this new CBA that are going to play a role in this. One of the new practices that really came to light over the last few years in the National Hockey League was players getting signing bonuses. The reason they wanted that is because if you get more of your money up front, if towards the end of what is a long-term deal, the team decides to try to buy you out, well, you would lose some money. If you can get the majority of that money up front in signing bonuses – Well, then you've got more money in your pocket in these guaranteed contracts, and it avoids losing more money if there's a buyout situation. And to give you an example, for example, if the Chicago Blackhawks were to buy out Brent Seabrook, he would end up losing a lot of money because his payment was even all the way across the board versus somebody that takes a lot more money in signing bonuses, and then the salary is much less as the contract moves along. But What has happened now is because you know the escrow payment, which we talked about a little bit earlier, is going to be a bit higher this next season – you have to wonder if players who wanted more upfront in the early stages are willing to take the chance and defer some of that payment until you get into years three, four, and five of this current CBA when that escrow payment could drop to as much as just 6%, leaving more money in their pocket. Now, the players were able to keep the signing bonus side of it. There was some talk that the owners wanted to get rid of that. Part of the negotiations, the owners said, you know what, we understand, and they let the players keep that side of it. So there will be signing bonuses that are due, But also, you have to wonder if some of these contracts that you've been so used to seeing front-loaded, if you don't tend to see them back-loaded, at least in years four, five, and six, when that escrow would be less. And no matter how you structure, say, a six- or seven- or eight-year contract, if the player is under contract to you already, you can sign them to eight years. Otherwise, it's seven. But no matter how you structure it, you take the average of their total contract and spread it out over the course of the term, and that is how you get the salary cap hit. So even though somebody may be making $5 million one year and $3 million the next, obviously their salary cap hit would be the average of the two. That is all going to play a role in it. But again, there's not a whole lot of room. There's really no room. The salary cap is essentially staying flat, and that is one of the challenges that the Blues will be facing now with getting Alex Petrangelo signed. However, I, I should pause, and I should remind you of this. But it didn't just stay flat for the St. Louis Blues. It stayed flat, obviously, for everybody. So now, when you start to look at free agents and unrestricted free agency, it's not just a matter of I would like to go play for another team or where would I like to go play. It's what other team could afford you. Do you go to a state that doesn't have a state income tax? And if you want to go to that, can that team afford you? Does that team have to make a move of two or three players to be able to afford you? And one of the areas that teams do that, well, they made trades at the draft. Of course, the draft is still yet to come, and that will come in October after the Stanley Cup is awarded as well. So all those factors play into what is going on. Now, your Alex Petrangelo, there's still the personal side of things, and and that aside, as we heard him say, we're just going to focus on the ice. How about the decision to just return to play? You know, we talk so much about we're not just necessarily when you're playing fantasy sports. You're not just trading you know, there. You can just trade a player. But in the real world, you're trading a player. You're making a family move. You're impacting so many other ways. Well, here's Alex Petrangelo, as we all know, a couple of years ago, had three young kids, Three, they had triplets. They have to make the decision what's right for your family. We heard from Carl Gunnarsson last night on This Week in Hockey talking about, yeah, he had several talks because they had a baby in April of what this is going to be like and how they're going to handle it. Well, Alex Petrangelo said, yeah, of course, he had plenty of talks with his wife, Jeannie and how things are going to be and how they make that decision.
5: Uh, it was a really... Long conversation, more than one conversation that me and my wife had Uh, ongoing discussions, I guess, is a good way to put it. I think uh, the safest way to do it is to get to the bubble once we're there. At least I know my family's going to be safe. This is going to be the hard part, obviously, getting through training camp and um, going back and forth to the rink. But I think our team's going to take the necessary precautions. A lot of us have young children. We know, um, you know, what to expect and, and, uh, you know, we want to keep each other safe. So Again, those are ongoing discussions you know, within our house. I'm sure guys with kids are doing the same thing. So uh, I'm just trying to be as smart as I can and kind of take the same
0: day by day. Now, in terms of getting back on the ice, so they made the decision, okay, we're going to play. We're going to get back onto the ice. Let's talk about training camp and how things happen. Here's Alex Petrangelo discussing. The guys look pretty good right now.
5: Uh, it's different. I said, the, I think I was talking to someone on the ice, and I said, just like, we actually look pretty good too considering the circumstances. I, I don't know if it's a mindset maybe that, all along, we uh, we kind of knew we were going to have a chance to come back. So everyone was kind of staying in the swing of things. I think in a normal off-season, uh, you really shut your mind off and take a break. And you know you have, you know, three or four months until things get going again. So I think for a lot of us, uh, we kept our brain in it and kind of knew at some point we were going to get ready to play. So it um, seemed that way out there the last couple of weeks. Guys have been skating here and, you know, back home. So we were crisp. We were good. We were... Uh, obviously uh, pretty furious practice out there if you're watching it but I think overall guys were uh, guys are pretty sharp uh, the
0: mental side of it too was pretty good Now a lot of people are saying is it enough time to get ready don't forget that when these guys normally come to training camp you're in for about five days before somebody's playing some kind of games and as Alex said he's confident right now there is plenty of time they have time to be ready
5: yeah I, again it's a good part of it is we have lots of time we have a couple we have exhibition game um, we, got we got time we got time to get ready Um again the hard part for us is try not to get into this thing too quickly we don't risk any injury here early on so we'll uh we'll take us like i said we'll take our time we'll ramp it up as we move forward here and we'll really kind of get ready to push things and maybe play uh some five on five against each other next next week probably when guys are feeling um like they're up for it but uh i know for me personally it's just take it day by day see how you're feeling no one to push no one to scale back and uh, no different than
0: the way I treat things the, you know during the regular season. Now, the good news is this is an experienced Blues team. This is a team that knows how to get things done. This is a team that knows how to handle things. I, I don't think there's anything you can throw at the St. Louis Blues that they can't handle. Well, as Alex Petrangelo said, last year on the road, they pretty much know how to handle what is thrown at
2: them.
5: Yeah, look, uh, you're away from your family in playoffs like we were last year. You kind of know how to handle it. Uh, I know it's not a bubble, but, you know, we were in – different cities for a week or maybe longer at a time and days off in between, especially in Boston in the finals. uh, We we know how to do it. I mean, look, this is a professional group. This is a mature group. Like you said, we've had success on the road, even in the playoffs. So we know, uh, we know how to treat this. We know how to prepare and uh, a little bit different, but um, when you're confident playing in a a different building, uh, makes this thing a little bit easier to get into.
0: And finally, as we hear from the captain of the St. Louis Blues, the biggest challenge in the success of this whole thing may happen before the players even get to the bubble. The biggest challenge is can they get to the bubble? And Alex Petrangelo talked about the importance of just getting that far.
5: Yep, yeah, we've had that conversation. I think the biggest thing for us is uh, doing what's right for each other and, and doing what's right for each other's families. Um We just got to get to the bubble, right? You want to make sure that everyone's healthy getting to the bubble, and then we can uh, obviously go from there. But uh, it's really important that everybody's smart right now to make sure uh, we do what's right to keep everybody safe because, um, you know, you get everyone together, things change. But we got a smart group. We all kind of know what's at risk here, and I'm not too worried about it.
0: Well, there you have it. Some reaction from the captain of the St. Louis Blues, Alex Petrangelo. We'll take a break on this week's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show, and when we come back, We'll hear from Blues head coach Craig Berube. That's next on 101 ESPN. And one final time, we bring you back to the Boardwalk Carbo Floors Behind the Bench Show. Glad to have you with us again. you miss any part of the show, you can podcast it or get the podcast at 101 ESPN. I'm Chris Kerber. We bring you the show every Wednesday night. And behind the bench, you know, sometimes it's about the coach. Sometimes it's about an assistant coach. It's about issues that go on off the ice. It's a little bit more involved than just talking about what is actually happening on the ice. However, having said that. With the fact that we've now gone three-plus months, close to four months, without hockey, waiting to find out if we're going to start a season, I got to tell you, it is great to be able to talk about things that are going on on the ice. So let's turn our attention to the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. You know, you, you talk about the fact that this team has such a strong mental attitude, and it hasn't mattered whether we have heard from Jordan Bennington, Jake Allen, Vladimir Tarasenko, Alex Petrangelo, Ryan O'Reilly or others, Sammy Blay, they all have the same approach. We just want to get to playing some hockey again. We can't wait to get into this bubble and get together as a team and play. And if you heard Carl Gunnerson last night on This Week in Hockey, he had one of the best comments ever. He said, I got to think that for some teams, the bubble aspect of things is going to be a struggle because you're going to be spending so much time together that you really need a tight team, a team that enjoys being together to be able to get through this when you are away from your family as long as these guys could be away from their families and any kind of normal type of life. But he said in the sense of the St. Louis Blues, it might be a real strength because this team loves being around each other that much. It is such a tight-knit group that that is one of the positives that could actually help them through it. And that is, of course, a mentality that was put into place by the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. So Craig Berube met with the media after day two of training camp, and let's get a few of his thoughts. First off, it was just good to be back out on the ice for Craig Berube.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different for sure, but it just feels good to be back out there. I think we've been all gearing up for this. Um, So we're, you know, we've been dealing with you know, all, all the uncertainty for quite a while now, so it's just nice to get back out there knowing that we're going forward here with what we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, it's it's, it's actually, a, I think it's a lot of fun to be back out there with the guys and the guys seem to be in a good good spot right now.
0: Now, there's one approach that you might take in a normal training camp situation, but this is not a normal situation. You're not coming out of training camp to begin an 82-game campaign through the month of October and all the way to April. You're coming out of this abbreviated camp, and you're playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs with a chance to lift the Stanley Cup. You know you're going to be playing a minimum of seven games, eight if you count the exhibition game. You play the exhibition game, the three seating games, and then the four games minimum in the first round of the playoffs. If you lose all four, you're done. You win, you move on. So this is not a
6: normal situation. Here's the approach taken by the head coach. Usually in training camp starting in September, we have two, three days of practice, and then we're right into a lot of games, heavy exhibition games. But this is different, so we're doing a little bit different with smaller groups. Uh, a little bit more of um, you know getting guys going again. I think that uh, you know when guys know when training camp starts and the season starts, they're already skating and getting themselves prepared for that. But this was different. I don't believe that you know guys were all skating and preparing themselves. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty whether they're going to play or not. So um, as a coach and staff in an organization, we want to we want to approach this as we got to build this up a little bit um, and get to a certain level and in, in the next two weeks where we're ready to go competitively and and physically and mentally well in general the team has been on the ice for the first couple
0: of days they've taken it easy just going through some regular drills they have still split the group up into two groups to get as many touches as many opportunities to get into drills as they can and here is Craig Berube's impression of the first couple of days of camp.
6: No I think it's been fine the first two days we're pretty pleased with everything I think our guys are working hard moving pretty well um, you know there's a lot of reps out there with smaller groups so they get tired pretty quick but we're we're keeping practices pretty short I, I want up tempo the whole time to, to get the conditioning up there. Um, I think our guys are in not a bad area right now, not a bad spot uh, condition-wise, and but it's got to get better for sure, and it will.
0: Now, look, we know how challenging this COVID situation has been right from the start. So it makes sense that you would have a few guys out when camp opens up, right? And that's exactly what's happened. Of course, there was no Colton Pareco and no... Robert Bortuzzo out on the ice for the first day. Now Colton Pareka was out on the ice for the second day, but of course, when you're trying to get things going, trying to play shorthanded defensively right off the bat presents its own challenges. And here's how they handled it.
6: We'll get uh, boards back here soon, and um, and then get you know we'll have everybody back there, which is good. We need we need the d- defenseman. Uh, we're a little bit short on D with these groups right now, so. We've had to double up a couple guys they've done a great job of that it's not easy to do but good 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 guys and uh they've done a good job with that but it's good to see colton back out there today
0: now the blues are going to get into scrimmages and craig berube said getting into
6: those battle drills quickly will be important yeah definitely we'll do some some scrimmaging i'm not i i'm not sold on you know referees and things like that but i think controlled scrimmages uh situational scrimmages uh power play penalty kill scrimmages will be important here going forward we're definitely going to get to some of that and finally well you've got the goaltending situation
0: look this is Jordan Bennington's team he's earned it that opportunity for him to start game one is going to be there unless something drastically changes but the Blues are going to camp with four goaltenders they're going to have Joel Hoffer as one of the goaltenders He's going to play throughout this part of the camp. He will not at least initially travel to Edmonton. Now, the National Hockey League realizes that, look, you could quickly with one injury end up in a goalie situation, so teams will have another goalie ready to come into the bubble if need be. That will be Joel Hofer. Now, Ville Husso, he is going to go into the bubble with the team. You've got to expect that he's going to get at least a game, whether it be the exhibition game or one of the seeding games, just so he gets a game in case he's called upon or is needed in the playoffs. But it really comes down to the tandem of Jake Allen and, of course, Jordan Bennington. And when Craig Berube was asked specifically about his confidence level in Jordan Bennington, although I don't know, you know, honestly, that question was asked several times to players uh, throughout the first couple of days. And I know you're looking for a story to write about Jordan Bennington and support the fact that you got confidence in the goalie. But there has been absolutely nothing, nothing that Jordan Bennington has shown that would make you doubt whether or not he could handle this situation. As a matter of fact, he leaves me more than confident than he can. However, the question was asked, and when asked about Jordan Bennington, Craig Berube made a point to make sure that everybody knows he's got confidence in both of his goaltenders.
6: I got confidence in both goalies. Uh, I really do. I think that they both had really good years. Um, you know, Bennington uh, coming into this year, I think, you know, maybe a lot of people – wondering if he could do what he did, you know, from January on. Um, And which he has, he wins hockey games. That's the best way I can put it. Benner wins games, he wins hockey games, and that's what the goalies are supposed to do.
0: Well, there you have it. There's some early camp thoughts from the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. So here's the situation as it sits now, folks. The Blues are in phase number three this is the training camp portion guys are getting tested a couple of times a week when they come in they've got to go through health protocols every morning when they get up before they get to the rink and then of course if somebody tests positive they will have to sit out a couple weeks or at least until they get back-to-back negative tests now Eventually, within about 14 days, they're going to be heading up into the bubble. They're going to get into the bubble. The Blues will be going into Edmonton. The Blues, of course, will be playing three seeding games. The first one will be August 2nd against the Colorado Avalanche. They'll play an exhibition game against the Chicago Blackhawks. We will have those games for you live right here on 101 ESPN. Remember, the St. Louis Blues will be playing the three seeding games to determine the top four seeds All the other eight teams are going to be playing to determine what are the other four teams that take the bottom four seeds as you head into the first round of the playoffs. We'll still continue with this week in hockey every Tuesday night from 6 to 8. We still continue with behind the bench every single Wednesday night from 6 to 7. And then, of course, coming up in just a few weeks, we've got Blues hockey back on the ice. And that, of course, is if everything goes well, nobody has a massive outbreak, and we're able to get these teams into the bubble safely and then handle that situation up in both Toronto and Edmonton and a quick thank you again always to Boardwalk Hardwood Floors for helping us bring you the show remember if you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors when considering new flooring in your home real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value Boardwalk is local, family-owned business, providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at BoardWalkHardwood.com. My thanks to Mike Ryder for helping with the production of the program again this week, and to you for tuning in every week as we get you through the pause, and hopefully very soon, keep our fingers crossed, International Hockey League action More to come as the Blues are on the ice, and we keep you updated all the time here on 101 ESPN and, of course, on stlouisblues.com. I'm Chris Kerber. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Boardwalk Hardwood Floor Behind the Ben show, and we'll see you at the rink.